about walking with him and serving him and have a relationship with him. We're going to dive back into our series called Be Happy. We are exploring the life story of Bob Marley. And um, <laughs> wait a minute, let me check my notes. No, no. Um, no, we're in the Beatitudes. Got started last week. Uh, one of our uh, men here in the church, his name is Wade Hobbs. And Wade's a missionary. I don't know if you know Wade and Judy really well, but uh, Wade's been in ministry a long time. He's been a, on the mission field, and now he works for a missions organization here in town. And, uh, he did a wonderful job leading us into the Beatitudes and what they are and some background there and what they look like. And, and so I just want to carry that forward uh, this morning as we unpack two more verses. And we look at this idea of, of what it means to truly be happy and what the idea of happiness really is. Now, when the word is, is thrown out to us and we use it and we hear it, I think as human beings, we're automatically attracted to it. And, and I think we're, we're driven to it and we're drawn to it. And I, I think, and I'll just kind of go from my own experience and my experience of working with a lot of people through the years is I think the reason why we are is because that's an emotion and an idea that we all desire and that we all want. But we're also not only drawn to the emotion and the desire and, and the thing of happiness, I think we're all really drawn to how we become happy. And I think it's not just the idea of happiness or being happy, it is how do we get there? What makes me particular happy and what makes all people happy. So we're kind of obsessed with this idea of being happy and happiness. We want to be happy. We want happiness. And in a lot of ways, we want other people to be happy and uh, to find happiness too, even if it means that they're being happy and their happiness helps us be happy. Does that make sense? Let me, let me repeat that. I think we're really excited about being happy, and we want to be happy, and we want to find happiness, and we really want it for other people. And I think it's genuine. 90% of the time. I think there's this 10% for us that we want other people to be happy and find happiness so that we'll be happy with their happiness. Does that make sense? So we'll feel better. And, and so, and, and that's a real thing. How many times do you hear your friends say to you or to others about you or to you about others, I just really want them to be happy? And so I think many times that's a valid thought, it's a valid statement, and it's a valid feeling that we have about our friends and our family. Sometimes it's just we want them to be happy so they'll stop calling us. Please just be happy and stop writing me and emailing me novels and, and, and all this stuff and, and stop trying to, you know, use me to help bring your happiness and you're really irritating me, so get and be happy. It's just a little percentage, Right? This idea of happiness, I think as we read the scriptures and as we see this idea of happiness contained in the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes, we have to be careful with something. Because we're drawn toward feelings of happiness, because we're drawn toward the idea of it, not only for us, but for other people, we have to be careful that we don't get hooked on a feeling in this idea of pursuing happiness, okay? It's not hooked on a feeling, really. And let me make this statement to you. The Beatitudes are not about the feelings of the blessed person. So when you read this, you're like, God blesses those who are poor and realize their need of him for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That sounds really good. God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. That sounds really good. Comfort's a good thing. The kingdom of heaven being ours is a really good thing. Um, God blesses those who are humble for they will inherit the whole earth. That sounds really good. And, and to, to many of us in, in our hearts and our lives, inheriting the whole earth or inheriting something just sounds like being happy. 
And so as we read through these, and as we'll read through these today, that we'll be satisfied as we hunger and thirst for justice. And we'll, God blesses those who are merciful if they'll just show mercy. God blesses those who, whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. That's an incredible thing to look forward to. And, and, and God blesses those who work for peace, that they will be called the children of God. So God will look at them as, as a famili- in a familial aspect as he does for us and as he looks at us as his children. And that will be enhanced in that relationship with God Almighty uh, as us as his children will be enhanced there. And he will bless us in that way. So the natural thing to do is to look at this list, to look at the Bible when it talks about the idea of being happy or joyous, and to really focus on the feeling that we'll have if we do these things. I want to caution because we're, we're kind of obsessed with it. It's not about, the Beatitudes are not about the feelings of the blessed person. They are about the reality of what happens when God is in control of our lives. So at the end of the day, the happiness idea should be secondary to the relationship with Jesus and God idea. And so as we pursue God in a relationship with Christ, that is the ultimate blessing. And as we are ultimately blessed, that case cascades down into every area of our life that then brings blessing in all these ways that then leads to true joy and happiness. So be careful when we read the scriptures or when we talk about these sorts of things. I think we all do because happiness is alluring. And being happy, it it draws us in. And all you have to do is kind of say the word or toss it out into a group of people. And and it just brings all kinds of conversation, all kinds of emotion, and all kinds of pursuits, and all kinds of ideas about how we should and be happy. But in this particular case, as we read the Bible, and as the Bible talks about this idea, let's make sure that it's not emotional and it's not about the feelings of what we'll get if we try to do these things. Like, oh, I just want to try to be merciful so I'll be happy. That's not it. We, we want God to do a work in us and help us understand what it means to be a person who shows mercy so that in showing mercy, God blesses not only the person of which we show mercy to, but us, and ultimately that brings joy and happiness. So at the end of the day, God is the center and the catalyst of joy and happiness in our lives and his son Jesus Christ, not the feeling. So don't get hooked on a feeling. Why? Because happiness is serendipitous. It's, it's emotional. It's up and down. It's circumstantial, right? I'm happy for a minute. This makes me happy. That makes me smile. And then over here, that doesn't. And so it, it moves and sways with what we've got going on in our lives. It moves and sways with who is in our lives. It moves and sways with what our friends do and what our spouse will and will not do and what our kids do and if they act right. And, and if circumstances and things all line up, then I'm happy. If they don't, then I'm not. And we can't trust that. We have to have something more objective. The reality has to be more objective. And that is a relationship with God who reigns and who is in control and who just by having a relationship with us provides us with ultimate joy and happiness in our lives. The reason why we have struggled with feelings is because, and the feelings leads us to this pursuit of happiness. And so because we feel, and it gets us in our feels, and and we're so feeling and emotional about this idea of happiness, we've got to try to find a vehicle, and usually it's outside of God, and a relationship with Christ, usually it's something tangible. Usually it's a person or a thing or a place. We have to try to find that person, place, or thing 
that will make us happy. And so then the feeling turns into a pursuit. And so the pursuit of happiness actually sometimes ends up being the main reason we're unhappy. Because we get focused on the pursuit of trying to be happy and that thing. And oftentimes in life, as I have learned over and over and over again, that thing doesn't always work out. That circumstance, that job, that relationship, that city, that environment, that church community, these things oftentimes break down. And so as we pursue that thing that we hope will lead us to happiness, we then struggle to find it and struggle to deal with it because as that thing breaks down, we equate that to our happiness and our joy breaking down. So it can end up being the very way that we try to find happiness can end up frustrating, hurting, leading us away from God in such a way that the pursuit of that happiness ends up being the main reason why we are so doggone unhappy. Uh, Recently, uh, I'm I'm fascinated with the psychology of this. In my own life and and in people I've worked with through through the ages, there's this nuance of of psychology and in our minds, the way our minds work, uh, that that just is so tied to happiness that I think it's so interesting to me. And maybe I'm the only one that'll be interested this morning, but I'm gonna share it with you for a second. And maybe, maybe you're, you don't deal with this, but maybe God can use you to help somebody else deal with this. One thing over the last like five to 10 years I've been fascinated with in this pursuit of happiness and that pursuit being the thing that ends up being uh, what makes us unhappy is this idea of, of a dream or what I think I'm supposed to be doing. And a lot of times this is tied around this desire. Now I'm not, now don't wait a minute, let's press pause. Don't go out of here and go, Pastor Jason said we shouldn't dream. I, not, not saying that, not saying that at all, not saying that you shouldn't dream, not saying that you shouldn't have goals and vision and a vision for your life and a mission and you should set those and you should try to attain those things that are, that are of reason and, and things that, that seem crazy or what, I'm not saying that at all. So let's just, I should have said that in preface. So let's just set that tone there real quick. What I find, though, is the pursuit of that thing that often breaks down over and over and over again, yet we still think it is the only way in which we will be happy. And it's oftentimes tied to a calling in life or something I think I'm supposed to do. And, and over and over, it is affirmed or confirmed in me or, or, or in you or, or in whoever's out there that, you know, that's really probably shouldn't be something you should pursue and you're really not good at it. You don't have the skills, you don't have the ability, you don't have the gifts, and this has been told to you over and over and over again, and unfortunately, you've seen a lot of failure and brokenness and heartache and disappointment and frustration and depression in your life, but yet you're convinced, and I'm convinced that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you know what we call that? We call that the pursuit of unhappiness. It is pursuing something that maybe you're not supposed to be doing at all. And you're pursuing it in a way to where all your happiness and joy and fulfillment is tied to that thing. And then you wake up one afternoon or one night or you have a moment or an epiphany or the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer, speaks to you or a friend who loves you says to you, I I think maybe the pursuit of this thing that you think you're supposed to be doing but has been totally confirmed and is obvious you're not supposed to be doing it, I think that has become the pursuit of unhappiness for you. And I think it's why you're miserable. 
It, it, let me tell you how hard it is to tell someone who says they're called to do something in ministry that. Yeah, yeah. You better get that right hand up and the left parrying a little bit so you won't catch that shot. Trust me, trust me. But we've all been there. I, I've, I've been on the other end of that conversation in, 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 with certain things where people who loved me and cared about me and who had a walk with God and who realized he's the center of our joy and happiness, he's the catalyst, he's the one, of, he's the pursuit. That's the pursuit of happiness, pursuing God, pursuing Christ, pursuing his heart and his character and who he is and, and what he is to us. That is the pursuit of happiness. Not these things over here that we often, because we feel so much, we get off into and we pursue and pursue to where at the end of the day it is the actual pursuit of unhappiness is the opposite of what we are pursuing and what we want. It's just a, a caution and kind of a, an affirmation and, and just a, an encouragement to all of us as we do life together and as we serve together and as we live in community together to be accountable to that and to be reminded of that, that, that God is the center. He is the catalyst. As we read the Beatitudes, Jesus is pointing in a really interesting way, not only to God, but to himself. Can you imagine the irony of Jesus teaching on the, sermon, on, the, on the mount, and, and Wade explained the perspectives last week about some thought it was in the valley and some thought it was in the mountain, whatever. Wherever Jesus was teaching there, think about the uh, beauty and of the irony of the fact that he is saying, you will be blessed if you pursue me. <laughs> is that amazing? And, and, and that people in that audience, some may have known, some may have caught on, but many probably wouldn't have. That sitting right in front of them, teaching them the very ideas of these beatitudes and of happiness was the main source of it. Isn't that cool? So we got to be careful with this feels thing. Got to be careful with this pursuit of our feels. So really the takeaway would be Pursue God, pursue Christ, pursue happiness, okay? And don't get stuck on what I have to do and lining up the check boxes to be able to be blessed because the focus is not the feelings of the blessed person. The focus is on the blesser, is on Christ. Look in verse six, it says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. I don't know if you've ever been in a position in your life where you've hungered and thirsted for anything at such a high level. But in this context, hunger and thirst illustrates a strong and almost a painful desire to find satisfaction and be fulfilled. So when, he, when Jesus says there, uh, hunger and thirst for righteousness or for justice... He is saying, and, and they would have understood, that he was saying that those who are, have a strong, almost painful desire to do the right thing and to find satisfaction in that and to be fulfilled, that person is blessed. Uh, again, we live in the first world. And so a lot of times, there's a lot of poverty in our world, for sure, and in America, and uh, if you've never seen that or you've never experienced that as a believer, we have a, a call in the book of James for the church to rise up and meet that need. Not the government, but God's church to do it. And so, and so that's why we, our mission is what it is here at City Church to care for the poor and marginalized and, and to be in the city and for our city because God gives us a mandate to do that. 
But if you've never interacted with people in abject poverty, whether it's in our uh, culture or in another culture, it's very hard to understand what it means to be in pain over hunger and thirst. I'm sure that you in your life in some arena have experienced a, a feeling or, or a physical uh, kind of uh, reaction to hunger and thirst. You were so thirsty, you couldn't stand it, and you were almost in pain to find that thirst fulfilled. I mean, I, I kind of played sports in an era where they thought water was weakness. And so I know, I know what it's like to be blacking out, you know, you're, you're, you're running out for a pass. It's like, what, what, what'd you do there? Well, it's, uh, coach, I can't see. I, I'm, uh, I'm completely dehydrated. You can't say that because it'll be like, keep running or whatever it may be. Uh, so I've been in arenas and in places where you're so thirsty, it is, there's nothing else you want to train your mind on, and there's nothing, no stronger feeling or desire you've ever had than to get that thirst quenched or that hunger quenched. And then I've been in a place where, uh, in the United States, in the mountains of West Virginia, and then also in Central and South America, where you meet whole families and children that have gone five, six, seven days without eating. And as you interact with them, you realize you can see it on their faces in their body language that, that they are, they have nothing but a strong desire to eat, to have nourishment, to find that to be fulfilled and to be satisfied. And you can sit there and talk to them about all kinds of stuff all you want to, but if you feed them, that will be the greatest fulfillment and greatest satisfaction because they're just so strong in their desire to be nourished. You've seen this too. This is what Jesus is saying about justice. This is what Jesus is saying about righteousness, that, that the blessed person hungers and thirsts in a strong desire and with this passion to get it quenched like nothing else to do the right thing. Because righteous here, justice, also translated as righteousness. So that means an acceptable condition to God or an upright lifestyle. So this is what the happiness idea comes in. As Jesus says, happy is, and I know some of your translations say that, happy is, you can, you can read it this way, the person who has a strong desire to live an upright life. And you know what the person who has a strong desire to live an upright life does? The person who has a, show me a person who has a strong desire to live an upright life, I'll show a person who's pursuing God and pursuing Christ. Because we are so frail and fragile in our humanity and in, and in our flesh. We don't want to do the right thing. The Bible tells us that. You know, even Paul, who all of us was considered to be this great all-star, all-American Christian, um, the, 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 what maybe perhaps the, the greatest who ever lived in, in the age post-Christ. And so, and, and it wouldn't be, you wouldn't be a follower of Jesus pre-Christ. So, um, Paul even said, I don't do the things I want to do. And then, then I find myself sometimes doing the things that I, I don't want to do. And so there's this urge in our flesh to, to do not the right thing. And so a person who has a strong desire to live an upright life and who desires justice in all things, the right thing in all things, is a person who is no doubt pursuing God as the central part of their life and of their happiness. And is pursuing Christ. And, and can't you kind of relate to that idea that when we don't live an upright life, that brings a lot of things into our life that really doesn't lead to happiness. We were joking this morning about, uh, I came up behind one of the guys and put my arm on him and said hello, and he jumped. And I was like, man, am I that ugly or, or what? Or, you know, am I, did I scare you? And he goes, well, 
No, yeah, a little bit. He said, my dad used to always say that uh, if you get scared when someone walks up behind you, it means you're not living right. What's funny is I said, that's funny. There's a, I got a verse in the, in the, in the presentation this morning, in the, in the message, uh, from Proverbs, where Solomon essentially says the same thing, that the wicked run away when no one is chasing them, but the godly are bold as lions. A life that is lived in pursuit of ungodly things, disastrous things, devastating things, things that are unhealthy and are negative, and things that are, are, are just filled with our sin nature and our sin, uh, those things oftentimes don't lead to a peaceful and to a joyous and to a happy life. Because they're always looking over the shoulder. Our, our lives are filled with, uh, we're, we're very paranoid and very skeptical and very cynical. We're always looking over our shoulder and running from things that aren't even there. And, and because, because we're, we're not pursuing that upright lifestyle, we don't have that strong desire to, to do the right thing in all things. And, and, and so it, it causes a lot of disruption in our lives and our minds and our relationships. And so it's very difficult to find true joy and happiness when we live that way. What's really cool about what Jesus says is that they will be satisfied. You will find satisfaction in the pursuit of Christ. You will find satisfaction in the pursuit of God. Why? Because you will have a strong desire to do the right thing. And when we have a strong desire and we execute on doing the right thing, then, man, that is not only a blessing for us, we are blessed people as a result of that. Well, a lot of people around us are blessed too. You realize the greatest thing you can give your friends and your family and your children and your spouse is to walk with God and to pursue Christ and to have a strong desire to live an upright lifestyle. That's the greatest gift you can give them. And it's the greatest thing you can do for them because as you are blessed by God in that way, because the relationship with God is the ultimate blessing, you will bless them. You will have a strong desire to do the right thing when temptation comes your way and my way. You will have a strong desire, we will, when, when you know, things just aren't going very well at home and in our relationship, we will fight for the right thing. We will be like a, a starving man trying to find food. We won't stop. We will be passionate about it. We'll be desirous of it. It will consume our, our thoughts and we will, because it will consume our thoughts, we'll pursue God even more because we need his wisdom and we need his help. And, and then happiness or, or the biblical definition of that will reign in our lives and then it'll affect us and others. Verse 70 says, God blesses those who are merciful for they will be shown mercy. Man, we need mercy in our world, don't we? I mean, just even this weekend, watching the news, picking up any periodical that you might read. Um, boy, we need mercy. We need grace. We need God's grace to, to be resonant in the lives of believers. Uh, we need God's love to be expressed in, in, in the lives of those who say they know Christ. Uh, we need merciful people. We need people of peace and people of mercy to go to work, to go to the ball field, to go watch Carolina and Clemson play, to go to the activities, to go to the total eclipse of the park. We need people of peace and of mercy in our universities. We need people of peace and mercy in our church communities where we see mercy shown and grace given by people so that God can use us as blessed people because we are merciful and we pursue that with everything and therefore it will bless 
those around us and the world. What I find interesting about Matthew 5, 7 is this, and I'll share it with you. Matthew 5, 7 is the only beatitude where the exact characteristic that is expressed is the same one that is received. You think that's by, by default? No. Because Jesus is describing to the people and he's describing to us that mercy in what he is preaching and saying, it means to have compassion. It means to show kindness and goodwill toward one with a desire to help them. And what Jesus is teaching and preaching and wanting them to understand and wants us to understand is this, is that in himself, in him, what's about to happen, what he's about to do, that will be the greatest act of mercy that you will ever see. And to absorb Christ's death on the cross for you and me, in, in, through the grace of God and through the beauty and desire of his will and pleasure to give Christ for us. He demonstrated in him the greatest act of mercy that, and compassion that we could ever, ever hope to observe and to know. And so as he's teaching this, he's saying in order to be a merciful person, you must understand that you have received mercy. And, and I, I, I don't know, maybe it's true, maybe it's out there, maybe we could prove it emotionally or psychologically with data. I don't know, I kind of tried this week. It, I think it's very difficult for someone who doesn't at some level understand they have received mercy or who have ever received mercy to really ever be merciful. In fact, I think that it, the opposite is true. I think when, when someone who has never understood they've received mercy, never understood they've received grace and compassion, and has never felt that, it's very difficult to express that. Whether it, it comes by someone's own doing or it's something that happens to them. Jesus is saying that merciful people understand that they've received mercy. Compassionate people understand that they have received compassion. I love what Tim Keller says. He says, only a small number of people in the history of the world have lived in relatively safe conditions. War, injustice, oppression, physical disability, racism, crime, scarcity of resources, class struggle. These social problems are the results of our alienation from God. They bring deep misery and violence to the lives of most of humanity. A relatively small group of people who through God's kindness lead an existence generally free from these forces. This comparative comfort can isolate us in a fictitious world where suffering is difficult to find. But isolation is fragile for suffering surround us, even in the suburbs. The last church I pastored was squarely in the middle of the suburbs. In fact, my church was surrounded by no less than half a million dollar homes. And I remember it was always a pressing in to teach our folks and to do life with our folks. A lot of them come from that, that, that problems are problems. Sin is sin. Issues are issues. Brokenness and challenges in life are the same in a half million dollar home or in a box under the bridge. We all have the same needs. We have the same physical and emotional needs. We have the same one spiritual need, and that is Christ. And so even in the suburbs, we see brokenness and we see uh, hurt and we see things that should alert us 
to suffering. He says we need an accurate view of the world in which we live. We need to see that instead of living on an island of ease, we are living on the Jericho Road. What's he talking about there? Well, this word mercy that Jesus uses in his teaching is the same word that is used in the story of the Good Samaritan on the Jericho Road where the man meets the man who has been beaten half to death, someone who he should, by his very nature, hate. And instead of allowing his hatred for that nationality and the warring of the, of the cultures and of the classes, instead of allowing that to reign, he allows mercy to reign. And do you guys remember the story? He not only fixes him up and picks him up, he takes him to his house. And what I find also, my favorite part of the story of the Good Samaritan, because I'm weird, is where the guy actually had house guests, and he said, who no doubt were of the same nationality as him, and who no doubt should have hated the man that he brought into his home. And he brought him in with him, and they partied together. It's the same word that Jesus is using there in the Beatitudes. God blesses those who are merciful, for they shall receive Mercy. Why? Because they know they've already received it and therefore they desire to express it. And then it follows itself and expresses itself into acts like the parable and the story of the Good Samaritan. It's the same word used in the story of the two blind men sitting by the road that Jesus healed. The Bible says that he saw them and had mercy on them and he healed them. It's the same word used in the story of the 10 lepers when Jesus healed and then only the one guy was grateful and came back. It wasn't Jesus this time using the word. It was one of the 10 lepers who cried out to him, Father, have mercy on us. See us. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't have mercy. It didn't state it that way. It said he looked at them. Looked because he was consumed with mercy and love. And he looked and spoke, and then they went and were healed. Same word. It's the same word used in the parable of the unforgiving servant, where Jesus is trying to make a point about how we can, uh, the, the, essentially, people that don't understand they've received mercy will rarely be merciful. The unforgiving servant, right? He had been forgiven much, yet when it came time for him to forgive, he couldn't do it. There, there's the point made. People that don't know they've received mercy have a hard time being merciful. But people that understand they've received a lot of mercy and grace. A lot has been given. A lot has been looked away from. A lot has been forgiven through Christ and through his blood. I, I'm speaking simply of myself, so just put yourself in that scenario as we finish out. A lot has been covered by the blood of Christ and is still covered by his grace. And, and he just, all he wants is for me to pursue him and to know him and to love him and have a strong desire to live an upright lifestyle that he wants for me. And as I live an upright lifestyle, then I will, because I understand I've received mercy, be merciful. And so we have been forgiven and, and given mercy at such a level that we cannot understand. But to know God and to know Christ is to know you've received that mercy and then to be merciful. We're not merciful, so we'll receive mercy. We've received mercy, therefore we're merciful. That's the feels thing. Don't read this passage and go, man, I gotta try to be more merciful to people and then I'll be happy. If I can just try to be nicer, if 
I care about people more, then you know, the Bible says, God, the Bible says right here, God will bless me. I'll be happy. That's missing the whole point. I pray for my life, for my family. That's, that's all. And, and then as, as prayerfully as, as we're able to lead each other and, and, and as a shepherd you, that God will do nothing more than instill in me an understanding of, of the mercy that I've received and the grace that I've received so that I can, in turn, be merciful to other people and gracious to them and, and most especially those that are far from God because I want them to see his heart and his character in this. If you're here and you don't know that you've received mercy, I, I wanna tell you from the scriptures how you have. Ephesians 2 says this, by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. By our very nature, it's not what we did, it's who we are, it's how we were born. But God is so rich, there's that word, in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only because God's grace that you have been saved. And so there's the reception of, of God's grace and mercy through the cross. We were, we were apart from God, we were estranged from God, we, we were subject to God's wrath and we were subject to God's judgment. And, and through Christ, he, he made available to us forgiveness and mercy and grace so that we can have a relationship with that God forever. And that's the reception of it. But then he doesn't stop there. Once through his grace and mercy, he saves us and gives us a new life. Hebrews 4 tells us that this high priest understands us. He understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings that we do, yet did not sin. So watch this. So because we have been saved through God's grace and by his mercy, saved to be merciful, saved to understand the mercy we've been given, let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. Watch this. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. Here's what I love about the continuation of that. Not only the reception that I have been given, shown mercy through Christ, but I am continuing to be shown mercy. And the one who saved me is the one who says, come to me. Man, I loved you enough to die on the cross. That means I love you enough to maintain that relationship with you and I love you enough to help you because I will continue to show you mercy. And a person who understands those two aspects, that I've been saved through grace by his mercy and that I can go to him because he's merciful to me, that person shows mercy. There it is. And then a person who shows mercy and a person who receives mercy. Have you ever received mercy in this life? Have you ever tangibly had someone show you mercy? I have. You know what I was after that? You know the prevailing emotion? It happened in my life after I received mercy? Joy. Happiness. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And that was just yesterday with Bonnie. And so, like, um, no, 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 I'm kidding. Sort of. But uh, we, no, if you've ever had it, what is the, that is a prevailing blessing. 
God blesses those, you doggone right he does. When you've seen and experienced mercy, and then you in your life are the one who, because you just pursue God, it's, it's thirsting and hungering for that, are merciful, you are blessed. I would be willing to say, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'd be willing to say that showing mercy is more of a blessing than receiving it. But here's something that's almost fail-safe. If we don't know we've received it, it's going to be very difficult to show it. Therefore, it's going to be very difficult to be blessed. It's going to be very difficult to find true joy and happiness. The person who recognizes they've received mercy and shows it to others, happy, is that person. Here's how it kind of all comes together. The action, let's look at it one more time before we walk out. The action of Matthew 5, 7 is done because of the reality of Matthew 5, 6. So let's read this in sequence. Matthew 5, 6 says, God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for, they will, for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. And God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. So the reality and the action of Matthew 5, 7, the merciful person, is done because of the reality and the truth of Matthew 5, 6. The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness most times will show mercy. Let's pray together.